Hey everyone, Patrick here. I am so excited our series, The APAM Conversations, was named a finalist for the second annual Signal Awards. To celebrate this, and as part of our campaign to try and win this thing, over the next 10 days, I am re-airing the series in its entirety. I hope you enjoy revisiting these incredible conversations I have with these amazing guests, and if it's your first time listening, welcome. I hope you enjoy them as well. After you listen, please cast your vote. You can find the link to do so in the show notes on IG at Conversation Pod Piece or by going to our website, conversationpeacepod.com. Without further ado, here are the APAM Conversations. Hey everyone, welcome to Conversation Peace with Patrick Armstrong. I am the titular Patrick, and this is the show where my guests and I discuss what piece of the conversation we aren't talking about, but should be. Special shout out to all my returning listeners, and a high five and hello to everyone joining us for the very first time. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. The month of May is Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, or APAM. It's meant to celebrate and reflect on the history and peoples that make up our beautiful diaspora. As part of that reflection, this month I'll be sharing nine conversations with friends and folks I greatly admire in the community as we discuss those missing pieces of the Asian American conversation, what we know, what we might not know, and what we can do about it. These are the APAM conversations. My guest today is a mission-driven entrepreneur, investor, media strategist, and speaker. She is the founder and CEO of Trailblazers, a media platform that elevates the stories of leading South Asians and convenes them. She also holds a BA in economics from Harvard University and is originally from Atlanta, Georgia. It is an honor and my privilege to welcome Simi Shah to the show. Simi, how are you doing? Patrick, thanks so much for having me here and for that kind introduction. It's so wonderful to reconnect with you after meeting you last year at Podcast Movement. And yeah, just excited to jump in today. Absolutely. Um, I before we get started, I just wanted to say and shout you out and hype you up a little bit. I you've been doing oh, some incredible things recently with Trailblazers, and I just wanted to say that it is a big inspiration for me, especially as I lean into the show um, to see you just succeeding in such amazing ways. So I just want to say thank you for doing everything that you do for uplifting the South Asian that. community. And for Thank giving you. us all uh, a new access and, and new opportunities and avenues to learn. So I appreciate well, that. I appreciate that. <laughs> so I know I read off a little bit about your bio, but for those listeners who may not know who you are, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think I've had a bit of more of a winding journey than most. But um, as you said, I'm originally from the Atlanta area. I grew up in a family of very entrepreneurial South Asian immigrants. And so always had early inclinations towards the world of business and entrepreneurship and just community and culture. Um, After graduating from Harvard, I actually initially started my career in finance and then very quickly found myself having this craving for more creative pursuits. And so I transitioned to the world of media. And long story short, today I work as a media strategist. I consult for a variety of largely actually POC and female-founded brands, startups, individuals, and the like, helping them develop content strategy and media strategies for their respective brands and profiles. Um, I also dabble in my family's business. So we work in the real estate and banking spaces. So do a little bit of work there. And then, as you said, run my own platform called South Asian Trailblazers, where I run a podcast publication and content platform that's dedicated to amplifying the voices of South Asian leaders. But 
over the past two years, we've also started delving a little bit deeper into the community aspect. So we host live events, including mixers and dinners and the like to bring our community together around this shared mission. And so that's a little bit about me and what I have to these days. <laughs> I love it. Um, I got to ask, you do so much. How do you find the time to like how do you balance all of these things? Um, I, w- I would first say, I don't think I do. Um, <laughs> I am perpetually behind on my inbox and I, for anyone out mm. there listening who I haven't responded to, I'm sorry. Um, no, I, I, I think a lot of it is just like that priority stack continues to shift, right? There are weeks sure. where, you know, there's a lot going on for my clients, you know, we're hitting the end of a quarter and something big is hitting and I'm really heads down on that. And then there's other weeks where trailblazers, you know, we have a live event or a big podcast coming up. And so I try to be mindful of how I triage my work. I'm also very lucky to work with both my family and friends and a team of individuals across all these projects who make it possible. But I think the real secret, and I tell a lot of people, this is like, I come from a family of people who have, I don't think any capability of just doing one thing at a time. Like I think you get bored. (laughs) And so sure. it's it's like a survival mechanism. It's like, oh, this thing's getting a little boring. Let me shift my brain to this. And then it helps you reset <laughs> and then go back to that original thing. And so um, I think it's just a big part of who I am and frankly, genetics. <laughs> I, I absolutely love it. It's like you can't there's just an hour of time and you're like, wait a second. Why am I not doing something right now? And it's like, what can I do? And you do amazing things. So very oh, excited, excited to be able to have this conversation with you. So let's just jump too. right into it. I said at the top, you know, this is this series is specifically about addressing the missing pieces or parts of the conversation about Asian America specifically. And so I want to ask you, you know, what part or piece of the conversation do you think is missing or we're not talking about right now, but should be? Yeah, you know, um, I think it's really interesting because the piece that I've found missing and I, I thought about this as, you know, you, you started speaking to me about this conversation is data and I know that sounds really boring, but um, across a lot of the roles I've worked in, I've worked with a lot of Asian American leaders and had a lot of these conversations. And even with trailblazers, you know, when elections are coming up or it's API Heritage Month where I'm a numbers person, I'm like, let's put pen to paper and show people like where community is succeeding, where we're not, like what, what do those numbers look like? And every time we end up back at the same five articles. And I'm like, Mm. it's been two years since we last had this conversation about, you know, for example, elections, right? How is there no new data? And so interestingly, I think, and I don't think the onus is only upon our community. I think it's obviously a broader question and also addressing the fact that on most surveys that we go to, Asian American is still one box, despite (laughs) the fact that it encompasses upwards of 50 communities. But, you know, I think that's a conversation that we need to start having, start advocating for within our organizations that we're in, whether, you know, research groups, the like of like, how do we do more research on the issues affecting our community, where we live, you know, earnings potential, all all these, you know, leadership. And um, part of why this has also been top of mind is um, I've been talking to a dear friend, Harish Amin at BCG, and he's been really digging into this from the leadership perspective and, um, you know, I'll, I'll let him reveal what, what he has coming up, but, um, what he's dug into is just phenomenal. And I'm like, more people need to be doing this because if we had this data, there's so much more we could do to push our community in the right direction. Because right now it's a little bit of, 
stick your finger in the air and figure out what needs to be done. (laughs) And it's that's, and I'm so proud of us for doing that, but like how awesome would it be if the progress we made didn't just rely on anecdotal evidence? A hundred percent. And I think you bring up such a great point about that box being just Asian or Asian American. And then that's it. Like, Listeners of the show and listeners of this particular series will know that I've referenced this report a lot. Uh, the National Asian Pacific American Women's Forum's uh, annual like pay or wage uh, report and how they've gotten that disaggregated and continue to disaggregate that and the importance of that happening so we can have a fuller picture of what it is to be Asian, not just, you know, this really stereotypical East Asian mindset that a lot of people have. And I think that it's also interesting to think about something that you said specifically regarding us falling back to the same five articles, the same five organizations sharing data. How do we, you said, you know, we need to advocate in our own organizations. How do we internally start to address this data point? Like your friend Harish is obviously doing that work. There's obviously people behind the scenes doing it, but for maybe the everyday person who isn't necessarily set in a position of leadership or whatever the case might be, how do we go about finding these newer, these more nuanced data points? I think that's a great question. I I wish I had this sort of (laughs) all-encompassing answer because if I did, I would have gone out and done it. But, you know, I think it's, I think like everything, it starts in a very grassroots and simplistic way. Like if you work in a company and they regularly do employee surveys or collect sort of employee data, you know, a lot of, a lot of massive tech companies and big corporates do this, you know, I think pushing for that data to be encompass the API community, encouraging them Mm. to break it down further than they potentially are because they often do it for other minority communities. It just hasn't been a priority among ours. Um, and then seeing what avenues there are to even make that data publicly available, right? And I, I, mm. again, I, I recognize that's no small feat, but I think even just starting to have some of those conversations and I, with a lot of my friends, you know, they work their day jobs, but they're passionate about advocacy or, so, or something on the side. And I think it's even just having those conversations within the niches you occupy, right? Like part of why I've been having this conversation with Harish is a lot of our podcast and platform at Trailblazers is very much focused on South Asian leadership. And so there was a natural mm. synergy there of me talking to him about the research and studies he was doing into Asian American leadership. And so whatever your niche may be, I think engaging with people who might have those interests and, you know, he's with BCG. It's one of the biggest consulting firms in the world. They they have the resources to do that. Right. And he took the onus upon himself to do that, which I think is phenomenal. But I think, you know, looking for those small opportunities of who has these shared interests, who has the resources, who has the ability. And I think if we can bring those voices together, there's a real opportunity there. I also think it's, you know, I, I was reading a study, I think it's probably two years ago, about two years ago about like diversity in media. And I think it was done in partnership with Nielsen or someone. And I was just reading like who had put the study together and usually they list their emails and we sent them a note and we were like, this is really great. Thank you so much for providing this level of detail. And I think, you know, Mm. if you find a study where it's not broken out or you have feedback, like just take that five minutes to send that email because I think more often than not, people are willing to listen. It's just like, we're the ones hyper aware of this issue because every time I try and go and look at data, I can't find anything, right? Some people don't know that, right? This (laughs) is they're 
They're yeah. applying a standard format to a standard survey and data report that they've been putting out for the last two decades. Right? That's right. just their job. And if you go back and say, hey, it would be really amazing if you disaggregated this in this way, they might consider it. So I, th- that's, you know, again, it's not an overall panacea, but I think there are sort of small steps we might be able to take in our respective communities. And again, I think the the grassroots, the anecdotal, you know, the hands on the ground work is there. But I just feel like if we had an approach that was more data driven, there's so much more we could do. The thing I took away from that specifically is like it kind of boils down to advocating for yourself, like in those things and just asking, like uh, thinking about just doing solopreneur stuff. It's like a lot of it boils down to being willing to make the ask. Like you got to know how to do it. You know, you, you can do certain things, but it's really about being aware that you can ask that. And if you get a no, I guess there are other things that you can do, but at least broaching the subject first is probably what we're going to have to do because a lot of times people don't come to us and ask us what we want to know or what we need to see. So I I like that it can kind of boil down to making it simple, but it's not, I mean, it's not simple in the fact that we have, there's more things to be done, but if we want to see that, you know, we, we do have to go out and get it sometimes. Um, In the multiple areas that you find yourselves operating and navigating in, have you seen changes from a data perspective yourself, like in real estate or in, uh, yeah, anything that you've seen that has changed from a data perspective from your perspective? So it's interesting that you asked that. So I went went to a hotel conference recently. And for those who don't know, I mean, like Asian Americans, specifically South Asians own pretty much one in every two hotels in the United States. I don't know what the global number is, but that is, so as a result of that, the franchisors who have maintain obviously a lot of power in the industry and just sort of the titans of the industry have had to do a lot to cater to our community, right? It, it, it's pretty remarkable when you see it. I mean, the way, you know, down to very small things. And so I think as a product of just the footprint we have there, they've made a lot of strides in the past couple of decades to be considerate of our community, incorporate that data in there, have those conversations. Um, I I can't point to like any specific data source, but I have really seen that. And my, my father's been in this industry for 30, 40 years. So he's, sure. I mean, when he first came here, people wouldn't give him a loan because of the color of his skin. And now it's like, you know, not even a question because our community is just has such a foothold um, right. in this space, which I think just speaks to the gen- genuine evolution. So I mean, I hate to say it, but like wallet power does make a difference, right? Having being integrated into the economic fabric of this country in such a profound way. And this is just one industry I'm talking about, right? We, We traverse so many, I think makes a difference and it makes people say, oh, shoot, like this is a group that we need to think more critically about and how we cater to them, how we tailor things to them. So That is one example. And I I think to the point you were making earlier, I think sometimes it is about asking. And Mm. I know I I get that in 2023, there are some things that we should just come to expect. And it's like, guys, how how have we not figured this out yet? (laughs) But I think the reality is like people don't know what they don't know. You know, despite all the progress we've made in sort of, especially with 2020 and the murder of George Floyd and this being a bigger part of even the corporate conversation, like, 
people are still just starting to learn and the degree to which you can go and sort of, you know, provide some insight, have that conversation to the point you're comfortable, right? Um, Right. I, I think it's well worth it because nine times out of 10, I've actually found people to be quite receptive. It's just not something that crossed their mind. Right. That's a hundred. I mean, it is, you don't know what you don't know. And it's like, I think about it like hidden histories. I was just finished reading uh, Asian American histories by Catherine Sunitia Choi, and which I loved. It's an incredible book. And she talks a lot about that, the hidden histories of Asian America and like the almost nonlinear paths that we've taken to be here. And if you didn't, if you weren't part of those communities or you didn't pick up that book, you'd never know. I don't think you never have any idea about any of this. And so it is important just to, to be able to have that. It makes me think about the ways that we can work together as different sects of, of the Asian diaspora, the Asian American diaspora to find our ways to these solutions, specifically from a data perspective. How do you, how do you see, or, or what do you think are the best ways that we could start to collaborate or even those even maybe not the best ways or the solutions but even just those starting points how do we come together as different communities of the same larger umbrella to really drive home these points of data yeah i mean i think it, it's exact like i think your answer was in the question around coming together i mean api mm. and and all the other letters that they've added in in the past like <laughs> past number of years I don't think that bucket is changing anytime soon, right? And right. I, I would love to see a, a world in which we start to disaggregate that more often. But I, I personally think we're still a bit, bit far out from that. But I think the point is like, that's a strength, right? That we have this ability, like we shouldn't just view that as a negative. We have an ability to bring that all that many communities together to advocate for change, right? Mm. And so I think, It's like if you and me came together, you know, you, me and Jerry came together and we're like, we're going to go approach this big consulting company and say for APA Heritage Month, we should do this, by the way. Can you guys come out with, (laughs) you know, a study on X, Y, Z? Can you can you run, you know, and and we'll support it, we'll promote it, whatever it is. We can work with you guys to get sponsored, whatever it is. And I, I think it really is that coming together, because when you have. I think representatives from the vast diversity of communities we have. And I'm not just speaking on like cultural boundaries. Like when you have women, LGBTQ, right. Right. Like there's so many intersections. I think it's a lot harder for the person on the other side of the table to say, no, I don't think there's any interest here. (laughs) Like, um, and and so (laughs) I, I think it is about having those conversations. And look, I think, you know, at least the space that people like you and I exist in, it's very content driven, it's much more of a creative aspect to it. You know, a lot of the work we do in data numbers is supplemental to the existing content work we do. And so with the million things that we have going on, I understand it's not always easy to make things like that a priority, right? Or even think about it. Sometimes it doesn't even cross your radar because it's not core to what you're doing. But I think there's going to come a point, and, and I felt this again in the election conversation of, like, I just don't even know where our community sits, how we vote, how we don't. And and there was a great partnership between the juggernaut and 538 um, back in, I want to say that it was, I think the 2020 election where they put this data out. And I'm like, can we make this annual? <laughs> like, I, I it's, it's incredible. Right. Um, and so I, it, it, I think it's going to become more important over time because as with any community, I mean, how, how do you, how do you know where to focus your efforts if you don't have any information. Right. So you said that 
you feel like we're pretty far, we're, or maybe not pretty far, but still far out from getting to that point of consistent disaggregated data. How far do you think that is? How far away do you think we are from that? Oh gosh, I don't, I don't know that I could put a number on it. I mean, be, and I, some groups have already started to do this. Like sometimes sure. I'm taking a survey and there is a breakout for Indian American. Um, and sometimes it'll go, it'll be South Asian, it'll go down to the subcontinent level, right? And in other places, mm, it's yep. like, you know, there's seven letters and I'm like, I probably fall in one of them. Let me check that box. So I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. My hunch is, you know, I, I think as we, I, I think we've already started to become a way bigger part of the conversation just in the last couple yeah. of years. And it, it's hard for me to exactly tell again, because I am not speaking from a data point. I'm speaking anecdotally, but I, I think people are going to start to recognize, you know, I, I think if you take it again at the simplest case of the political level, like if I'm a politician running for office and I want to understand which constituencies I need to mobilize, I probably need to understand those constituencies at a pretty granular level. And I'm not going to do that if the broad right. bucket is just API, right? So exactly. I think it's going to, I think it's going to become more important. And I think again, for better or worse, when it affects people's bottom line, when it affects politics, you know, when it affects economic growth and such, people are just more fundamentally motivated. And so I can't put a timeline on it, but I think as we grow with respect to that as a community, it's going to become, you know, more top of mind for a lot of the people who have the power to change. Absolutely. And a lot of those people obviously sit outside of our community. And I think a lot of this conversation, while we've been talking about us as an Asian American diaspora, like going where we find ourselves in these spaces and these corporate uh entities or whatever the case might be. And we have to go and we know that we have to like work within the system to try and find that change. And obviously the people in executive leadership are going to be the ones that can help affect that change. And so we've talked a lot about, um, you know, them having to be willing to listen, us going in and to engage with them. What other ways can folks outside of our community address this lack of data outside of just those things that we've already discussed? That's a great question. I mean, I think if you're here and you're listening, you're already taking the first step, right? I, I, <laughs> sure, like, sure, sure, sure. I, I think it goes back to the you don't know what you don't know. And and this is a conversation I have a lot in in building South Asian Trailblazers. And I'm sure you can re relate with your Korean adoptee and the work that you're doing in that space is that people think that like it has this label and so it must only be for that person. Like South Asian Trailblazers right. should, can only be for South Asians no, I tell people all the time, I'm like, we're interviewing leaders across industries. Us talking about their identity is a core part of the conversation, but it's not the only part of the conversation. Everyone stands to learn so much by hearing about this person's journey. So, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to someone who works in the cybersecurity space. And I was like, we have this amazing podcast episode with Rinky Seti, who was previously the uh, chief information security officer at Twitter. Like, you should go listen to mm. it. You're a woman in cybersecurity. Like, and she wasn't South right. Asian. But I, I think that's the point is that um, don't shy away because, like, you see the title and you're like, oh, this isn't for me. I mean, and take that opportunity sure. to learn and engage. And you might surprise yourself at how relatable it actually is and what new things you learn about these communities that you want to try and engage more with. Um I think another prime example of this is when I used to work in finance, we would have a women's forum because obviously 
finance is notoriously male dominated, particularly where I was working in, in private equity. We'd have a women's forum where we'd invite women in college to come spend a day with us, learn about what it means to work in private equity. It was, it was beautifully done and such a great effort. But the people who would plan it were women. All the people who would attend it from the firm were also women. And I was like, this isn't addressing the core issue here, right? Like we want the men right. to engage too, right? We want them to be involved right. in the planning because that gives them a vested stake in it. We want them to understand what it means to like bring these women and make them feel welcome. And 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 I remember speaking to some of the guys about it. I'm like, oh, are you guys coming to the networking hour with the women we have upstairs? And they were like, oh, well, like that's not for us. And I was like, okay, so the onus is on us to make sure they understand that it, it is for them. Like they are welcome. Right. And it's also on them. To, and so I, again, I think it, there's push and pull here, right? Like they didn't, they yeah, were like, absolutely. we're overstepping if we do that. And I was like, no, you're not overstepping. Like it would be great if you came to show you, demonstrate your solidarity and support for this initiative. Right. And so I, I think that's the point is some of it's on us to bring people into that conversation and say, Hey, this is for you. And the other part of it is for the person to say like, okay, I thought it wasn't for me, but it, it could be for me. And let me at least go check it out and support. Um, and uh, so that, that that's really what I view as a core piece of not just on the data point, but of, of working together to bring about an effect change in any advocacy work that we're trying to do across our communities. I absolutely love that because it is like I can I as you were describing that I was thinking about all the times that I saw a label of something like an event or whatever. And I was like, oh, that's not for me. Like, it's not like I shouldn't go to that. And now I'm thinking like, man, I should have really went to those things. <laughs> like, yeah. there's probably an opportunity to learn. And that's one of the reasons I really love Trailblazers specifically, because it feels very accessible and it feels like you're doing that. Like, you're providing the opportunity. You're letting people know, hey, this is about South Asian leaders, but it's not exclusively for the South Asian community. It's for everyone. And also, like, it's there for people to then them take the step to start listening, to start engaging, to start immersing themselves, to have to develop that better understanding. I think that's something I've been talking about a lot lately is getting out of the echo chamber of our own communities. Because I think that, again, it's like I hadn't thought about Love it from that. a label perspective, but like for me, for a long time, it was like all adoptee focused and it was all Asian adoptee. And those are great. Those conversations are necessary. Like we need to have conversations available to listen to so we can see similar stories, similar humanity and other people in our community. And we also have to be having those conversations outside of that community. Like, as you said, the people in positions of privilege and power probably aren't don't identify in the same way as myself. However, we can have those conversations with them. And if we're not, we're never going to be able to find our way to the change that we want to see because we're not at least taking that next step. And again, it's like on that other side to come to the table and be willing to listen. But also we have to be willing to get out of our comfort zone of our own community conversation and go outside of that, find ways to build solidarity, to build that community in order to reach whatever the goal is that we want to reach, which I think is, you know, just just surviving it and yeah. realizing thriving. that people can thriving see us. Is the goal. Thriving. thriving. You're right. Thriving is well, the goal. I, yeah. And I, I, I'll, I'll add to that quickly, Patrick, that I don't like, I, I, I do this. I'm guilty of this too. I look at things and I'm like, that's not for me. And I also think as people that have built things specifically for our communities, it's really hard to strike that balance. Like, yeah. like candidly, you know, I'll share an example is initially we started calling ourselves trailblazers and people were like, I think it would really help your branding if you called it South Asian trailblazers. So people know. And, and I, 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 I try to tell this line at times because 
I, I did start this to build for the South Asian community because I said, I want you guys to have a line of sight to leaders who look like you, right? It's a very, it's still a nuanced experience. But then right. to the point of, I want to bring others into this conversation, the labeling makes a difference, right? And, and I say this to say that like, it's hard. It's hard to be building for your community, but also want people outside the community to engage and understand how to walk that line. I'm talking about it from a branding perspective, let alone from like all the other <laughs> components that go exactly. into it, right? Like, and so um, I say this: it's not easy, but it's definitely something to keep in mind, right? Um, right. And 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 keeping in mind, especially the part of being welcoming, and that's why I always tell people, and I try to say. You know, if you're someone that is just interested in learning from leaders, this is for you. Um, and I, I try to incorporate just small pieces of language that make it clear that this is really open to anyone, even if it was initially built with this community in mind. Um, and it's interesting because this is a conversation I also have with a lot of brands I work with. You know, you know, there's groups that are, you know, founding food or beauty brands that are inspired by South Asian heritage or Indian beauty rituals from, you know, our ancestors. But they're like, mm -hmm. no, the point is that we want this to go mainstream. We want everyone to access this, not just our community. But the way they've built it to stay authentic to our culture and our heritage is very centered around those cultural nuances. Right. And so sure. the, the average consumer might say, oh, that's not for me. And then they have to reshape their whole messaging. So I say this, say that like every, this is a struggle for everyone, right? Like right. we want to bring our culture to the forefront. We want to make it accessible to everyone while retaining that authenticity. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's not easy to walk that line, right? Because like you're trying to build for your community, like trying to build for a community and then trying to build for every community is not an easy task. Right. And I don't think that's something that like not like non-culturally culturally infused brands really have to think as hard about and it, it's not someone that something that i think there's a ton of precedence for because it's it's really having a moment right now if you think about it right so or i would say in the last five to ten years and so that i just wanted to highlight that point of like you know i think there sometimes we feel guilt about that and i just don't think it's sure. an easy thing to do no, I totally agree. I don't think, I think it's honestly extremely difficult because you're also probably going to do, as you evolve that messaging to include a why, uh, like to broach outside of that community that you're originally targeting or creating for, it's like, you're probably going to get backlash from that community who's like, what are you doing? Or you're selling out or whatever it might be. And it's like, well, no, I just want to be able to take this, what we do for ourselves and share it with the rest of the world. Like I, I it's not that I want to, it's not a selling out. It's like, we don't we want to share our cult isn't that the point like to share our culture and the things that we know and and the things that we do in our lives with other people so they can build empathy with us so they can be like exactly. oh that is that's totally worth it i love that i want to do that in my life like you know that i think that's the point of it honestly at the end of the day but it's not easy it's a difficult task because you're going to find pushback on from all sides when you make that evolution and luckily there are people like you Simi, that can help <laughs> folks go through that process um, who in the community right now is, is, is exciting you, is inspiring you? Um, actually, they don't even have to be in the community. Who's inspiring you right now in the work that you're doing or just in the work that you see happening from other people? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, to your point, we recently did our second ever live podcast with Anjula Acharya, who is, um, manager of Brianka Chopra, legendary investor and entrepreneur, and she's long been an inspiration. It was so amazing to have her. 
And in addition to that, you know, in in this event, we brought on a number of small South Asian brands to partner with us for food, bev, swag, you know, the like. And um, it has just been so amazing to see what these brands are building. I mean, and, and some of them I've actually been following for a number of years and having the opportunity to collaborate that with them was so meaningful. But there, I, as I said at the start of this, I come from a very entrepreneurial family and I just have an immense respect for people building something from scratch, trying to take something that is in theory niche, but as we've been talking about, make it something accessible to all. And um, I've just been really inspired by the way these people, you know, I'll, I'll give a shout to some of them. There's um, Rupee Beer. Um, it's like Indian inspired beer company. My dad is officially obsessed with them. <laughs> um, I have a friend, um, her name is Hani. She runs a marketing agency called Kahani Digital. I mean, it, it's just... It, it's so phenomenal to see, you know, Silk and Sonder, this one, Meha Agarwal is trying to build a more intentional brand around journaling and journaling and mental mm. health and making that a staple part of our everyday lives and being proactive versus reactive. I mean, I just, it, it's really inspiring to me. And I, I, they really give me a lot of energy and juice around what we're doing in the work of amplifying and elevating South Asian leaders. I mean, these are the people that are boots on the ground doing the thing. It's amazing where that inspiration can come from, especially when you just have a get together like that and you're able to see where you're able to amplify and uplift those people who are out here doing amazing things and that you would never even again, if you don't know, you don't know, you probably never even know that they're doing these things. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if I wasn't in this space, I wouldn't know. And and, and I try to be more intentional about supporting, you know, South Asian and broadly API founders. But um, to your point, we live in an echo chamber. Like, it's, it's really easy for me to talk about that. And because I over the course of building trailblazers, I've met so many people and become so embedded in this. And sometimes I think critically, you know, I, I talk to my Asian American friends outside this world who like mm. don't do this stuff. And they're like, this is crazy. And I'm like, oh, this is like every day for us. You oh, know? Yeah. And, oh, that's just a normal Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's a friendly reminder that, yeah, we, to your point, we, we do live in echo chamber and we got to get out of it sometimes. Simi, it's been an absolute pleasure having this conversation with you, and I want to be mindful of your time as we wind down the interview here. Um, Two more questions. People feel a lot of different ways about Heritage Months. Um, I've written a lot about it myself, and you know whether you like them, you don't like them, or you fall somewhere in the middle, I think it's all okay. I think we all have our own opinions, and we're entitled to those. Um, Do you personally celebrate Asian Pacific American Heritage Month? And if you feel comfortable enough sharing why or why not, would love to hear. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I I want to say I do celebrate it, but it, it, it's interesting your framing because what does celebrating mean, right? I, I think right. right now I view celebrating as, you know, I have a lot of friends and partners and collaborators who will host events or meaningful conversations or, you know, we'll put out certain content oriented around the month and, and, Again, in my little echo chamber of myself, I consider that celebrating, but is it? And I I think the broader, you know, in terms of my why, I think, look, like we, we, you can pick a bone with everything, right? Like you can pick at everything. And I think it is, you know, the history of APA Heritage Month is really beautiful. I encourage you guys to look it up if you haven't, but, um, it it wasn't easy to get there, to get a month, right? you know? And I think that when we have opportunities like this, I'm not saying, you know, like 
there are criticisms to be made about about all sorts of things. And I think we should absolutely vocalize them. But I also think we should take the moment to appreciate and revel in the progress we've made. And I think APA Heritage Month is truly one of those symbols. And so I do try and celebrate it. Um, I think something that I try to be mindful of, and it's just a conversation we've been broadly having, particularly around Diwali this year, is it's really easy for months like this or certain holidays and celebrations to become commoditized and commercialized and experienced and done at a very surface level. And I absolutely, I mean, this Diwali season was phenomenal. I've never seen Diwali celebrated like that in my entire life across the United States and world. Yeah. But I also had a moment where I was like, do people know what Diwali is about? Like, like, do we know the history, you know? And um, I think that's the case with everything. I don't think it just applies to our community or these celebrations in particular, but I think it's a reminder that like, Sometimes you got to go back to your roots and understand why you're doing this thing and and what message you're sending, again, broadly to the communities that aren't necessarily yours in the way that you talk about certain things and celebrate certain things. So um, I appreciate you asking this question because I feel like it's made me a lot more mindful about how I will continue to celebrate this month going forward. But yeah, I absolutely do celebrate it. And, you know, I'm excited to see where it goes in the future and what it looks like. Absolutely. I think you asked the right question to my question, which is what does it mean to celebrate? Like, what does that even actually mean? Um, when I wrote the question, I wasn't even thinking about that, but I'm like, Ooh, I need to think about maybe even the framing of this. So I appreciate you sharing that. Um, again, it comes back to like, I love like the root, like what's the root of it. And I think heritage months in particular can feel like they feed into this culture of commodification that we live in as a society. And even ourselves as representatives or as members of those communities can get caught up in that because it feels like we have to, we're trying to reclaim or take back some of it from a narrative sense. Absolutely. It can be, again, it can be tough, but if we, I, I am interested to see where it goes uh, in the future as well. I'm excited because I feel like voices are coming out of the woodwork are excited to share their stories and finding new ways to do so. And that's really exciting. And I think there's a shift in maybe the way that we think about these things that's going to be hopefully very beneficial for all of us moving forward. Um, last question. How do we, how do our listeners support you moving forward? Oh, that's very kind. Um, well, look, as I said, over the course of this podcast, you know, if you're someone interested in learning from leaders that look like you or don't, but just have phenomenal stories to share about their journeys to success across an array of industries. Um, I encourage you to check out our podcast. It's called South Asian Trailblazers. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, all major podcasting platforms. Uh, We also have an accompanying publication if you prefer to read. And as I said, we love to host events. I personally love bringing our community to life. And so I encourage you to check out our website, SouthAsianTrailblazers.com and us on socials if you want to stay tuned for all things we have upcoming. Absolutely amazing. Simi, I cannot thank you enough for sitting down, giving me some of your time for your vulnerability, sharing your story and sharing so much uh, incredible wisdom and advice with not only me, but with all of our audience here. Um, and just for saying yes to being part of this, uh, <laughs> the APAM conversation series. It means a lot to me. So thank you very much for that. For everybody out there listening, you can find the links to everything that we just talked about here in the show notes. And you can find us at Conversation Pod Piece on Instagram. If you do feel inclined to leave a rating or review on the podcast player that you're listening to this on, we would greatly appreciate it. And if you're interested in supporting the show in the future in any way, feel free to hop in my DMs or visit my website, patrickintheworld.me. Until next time, I am Patrick Armstrong, and this has been Conversation Piece. Thanks, Simi. Thanks so much, Patrick. 
did. They were.